Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCap. This is a show for IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 30 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. This week, we're going to be looking at how an organization might deal with a security incident and highlight the ways an organization should and importantly shouldn't respond. So to take us through how to deal with a security incident are Mark Overton, SoftCat's Information Security Officer, Adrian Richings, SoftCat's Seam Lead, and Adam Luca, SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Security. Okay, so we're going to try something a little bit different here. What we're going to do is we're going to take a hypothetical scenario. We're going to put ourselves in the instant response room and we're going to have a look at how an organization might deal with it. So I guess first we need to come up with a hilarious company name. Uh, Any suggestions? So as an avid fan of uh, IT crowd, I I quite like the idea of using uh, Renum Industries. Renum Industries it is. Uh, Okay, so we need to probably choose an industry. Adrian, any suggestions? Uh, Maybe an e-commerce retail type industry? Any reason for why we why we pick that? They typically have a large amount of credit and personal identifiable information. Always good to a threat actor. Okay, a size mark. We'll go around uh, the one to two thousand user mark. It's quite typical for the companies that Softcat works with. Okay, so let's say two thousand, and then turnover. Let's go for one billion dollars. Well, pounds. Yeah, but what seven hundred million? Seven hundred million pounds. Seven hundred million based pounds. on your local exchange rate. Okay, and the security incident. I guess let's let's not reveal the whole incident. Let's just kind of talk about what we've discovered right now, or what kind of the first point of contact. So, Mark, what, what what's what's our security incident? Well, right now, Michael, what we know is that a user inside our company has forwarded an email to the security team that's attempting to extort us uh, as supposedly an external party has gained access to our CRM database. And they're asking for half a million pounds. Okay. They missed the opportunity to ask for $1 million. I don't think they're very good already. Well, no, they're clearly amateurs. Um, you know, certainly at this point, we don't know whether this is true or not. Um, so that's kind of a big question mark. Okay. So we've discovered this instant in our network by a user that sent us an email. Is that quite common, users sending emails coming over to us? Or do we usually have a fancy tool that does it? So you, you can pick them up by like various methods. Your internal user community can obviously send you through and there are automated tools or seam tools um, and other monitoring tools that would pick it up. And obviously you've also got the, the dreaded external notification by either a threat actor or law enforcement. Um, they can notify you too. Okay. So the breach has been discovered. What are the steps that we then take? So you've got obviously um, discovery is the first part. So we'll be looking at um, end user community. Do they know what security breaches? Do they know how to report this to you? Because obviously there's not much point them having that information and sitting on it. So can they communicate it to your security team? Um, obviously you've got like seam and automated tooling, which would help again helps with your discovery um, activities. And obviously you can also empower the end user community themselves to 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 do that that weights and measures check with them, like with champion users. That helps you do that um, verification check. So they're not just picking up something and firing it. They might actually be doing some some weights and measures check beforehand to say actually this is or isn't a security check. Depends on how comfortable you are within your organization with empowering your users. I guess Mark, I know it's something you've been working very heavily on within Softcat is around getting our guests security culture in the right place and and i guess one of the things i know that we've had a discussion about is that users look to champions or look to people who obviously to have more uh, knowledge or more experience in the security area as, as, as 
guidance to what they should do with a certain piece of information. This all happens very locally. I guess, what's your view on how important that function is in terms of making sure an incident actually eventually gets back to the security team? Well, you certainly don't want to discourage the reporting by the users. Um, the flip side to that is uh, many companies, probably like ourselves, will see some users certainly recently reporting emails to us from unknown third parties who are asking for their consent to keep their data past the enforcement of GDPR. But actually, in many cases, the users don't recognize these companies and they see it as an unknown company sending them saying, we've got your data, is that okay? Uh, and they'll report this to us as a you know, potential security incident. So it's challenging. You're always going to get a volume, but I think most security professionals would agree they'd rather see anything the users weren't comfortable with. But there's certainly value if you can get some champions, maybe in local offices and so on, who users feel comfortable engaging with to validate this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I guess in our scenario, you know, Mark, you said previously that we've the first sort of notification we've had that we've potentially got a security incident on is that an internal member of staff has forwarded us this email. What would be typically be the additional things we might want to discover about the email, I guess, Adrian, that might help us um, moving on to the sort of the next stage, which is verification? So you probably want a copy of the original emails with headers and stuff intact, because that's normally a, a good starting point. Okay, that makes sense. And and I guess you kind of want to get that either directly from the user or the mail server, right? Is there any other places you might want to start to discover information from? Um, so obviously, assume you've got the, the email itself. Um, if it's got any URL or contact information on that, again, you can start going off and, and having a look around that as well. Okay, so how do we actually know that this is a genuine security incident and not just someone having a bit of a laugh or trying to just mess with us. So you're obviously going to have to try and uh, validate that that information you, you've got. So you, you'll have the whole, the, the traditional, um, what constitutes security incident. I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm quite old school in the fact it's the, the CIA triad. Obviously, everyone's unheard about it, confidentiality, integrity, availability. And obviously, if you've got any of those um potentially influenced by this. That's a, a, a potential security incident. Confidentiality and integrity are obviously the two big hitters in that space. In the case of our extortion, you're going to be looking at the information within that and the quality of the information. So just go through that, that trial again. So confidentiality, integrity, integrity, integrity and availability, CIA. So you look at those you look at those three things and you say, are they ticking those any of those three boxes? And if they are then it's a, a potential security incident. Availability is the one that's a little bit great because you have operational incidents that affect availability. But definitely if it's affected confidentiality and it's affected integrity, it's a security incident. Yeah, I mean, this is a stage now where the rubber really hits the road and we go from you know verification of an incident, which is day-to-day -day for, for most organisations with a security team, to verifying that an incident has actually occurred, which in the case of uh, you know losing a large amount of data like we're talking about here is not something people are used to dealing with in many circumstances so once you discover uh, and verify um, that this has actually occurred then the tone completely changes everyone has gone from doing something they're used to doing day in day out to something which they were hoping was never going to happen and i guess from that verification perspective if we're looking in our scenario that we've received this email from an external party who's claimed to have got a copy of our CRM, I guess we're looking for sample data to verify they actually have that, that copy of that database. Yeah, you, you definitely want to sample data. You'd use this then as your fingerprint to go looking within your environment to say what systems hold that data and therefore what potentially is those systems could have been compromised. It could be the source of this breach. They could also be your, your um, 
if you've got watermarking or other types of information embedded in your systems, you can actually give me the particular line for whatever your watermarking sample is, and that will allow you then to categorically confirm whether it is your set or whether it's one that's been amalgamated from one of the various breaches that are out there on the internet. I guess that's interestingly probably got harder and harder to to uniquely verify that it is actually your data, especially as you say now, with so many instances, billions and billions of records out there, and they're just the ones that are, I guess, widely known about, let alone the stuff that probably trades hands through uh, various nefarious markets. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if the attackers are being helpful, they may well point you to a token inside your environment, say a text file on a server, uh, you know, with information that could only have been put there by them. Uh, in those circumstances, again, stuff gets serious pretty quickly. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty scary. You've been compromised by such and such a group as a text uh, message on the desktop is fairly upsetting. So we've discovered it. We have verified. Do we now, is it now the time that we try and fix it? Or is there something else that we do first? So you, you've got to spin up the analysis bit now. How, how has this thing happened? What, what's what's gone on? What's the scope? What's the impact? What data is at risk? Because obviously you've got a data breach. You're going to have to report, inform, point my teeth back in a whole lot of regulatory bodies. So there's a whole analysis chunk that now kicks in. And that'll involve um, getting... Uh, you know, all your support teams and all those those teams that you might not necessarily deal with in a day-to-day basis and getting them involved. So you kind of want to take a moment to think, having having dealt with a few large instances, that the instinct is to jump straight in there and start pulling up systems and grabbing logs and setting up rooms and pulling people in. And it all gets very messy and very uncontrolled quickly. So it's good to take a moment and, and just plan out, based on the information you've got, what what steps should I f- start? And it cannot change in the future. Um, but right here now today with the information I've got, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to pull in? What system should I start looking at? So take that moment just to have a pause and a think because that generally catches people out. Yeah, so at this point, it, it really does uh, show if you've thought about what might happen in this scenario and actually written out a playbook, a run book for how you're going to respond to it. Many organisations haven't, but at the bare minimum, everyone should at least know if they get out of their depth, who they're going to contact. And ideally have spoken to that company before uh, you hear about incident response retainers. They're exactly for these scenarios, to the point where you have a true validated breach, um, but you don't keep the resources in-house to deal with it. Well, at least then having a third party who knows, you know, has you listed as someone who will call them for assistance um, so you can get going much faster if you've got that plan. That's interesting. So you you pay a company just to kind of sit there ready and waiting for if an incident happens and then you call them all in and then they do they come on site and and kind of take over like the CIA with big black briefcases and clear the decks and say, right, we're here now, going to fix it? Or is it... You'd have a retainer, so either by hours or by days or whatever. And yeah, you'd say at a certain engagement point, this is where we'll we'll take the incident package up with the information we've got and hand it over to you and you'll run it on our behalf. So say if we're going back to the scenario, it's quite simple. You you will have had this um, notification and hopefully you've got your, your subset of data and you go, right, which systems have this subset of data in it? Let's go and identify those. And then you'll literally go off and do an analysis of each of those, either yourselves or if you've got a retainer, you'll get your forensic guys in. They'll come in, they'll take images of the systems and they'll look for indications of compromise. Um, And they should confirm or rule out those systems as having your um, sample set in them as well. So basically say, yeah, that's a potential system could have been compromised to, to do this thing. No, actually the data in our sample set, only nine of the 10 records exist in that system. Thus, it can't have been that system that was compromised or it couldn't have been wholly that system and basically you you'll look at trying to remove systems from scope of of could have been breached and you eventually you'll end up with a handful and that's where you focus most of your attention 
So is it at this point we understand what's happened? You, you won't know at this point. All you'll have is an inkling of, of something might have occurred. And obviously somebody's telling you this, you've got a sample of data. You're looking to make sure that that, that actually occurred based on the logs within your environment. So at this point, we know for definite that our CRM d- database was compromised, but we don't know how necessarily or why. We we'll probably have a very strong indication that it has been compromised, but I think you're, you're bang on there. You probably don't have the detail. You'll have, yeah, as, as described, you'll have, oh, I guess, I was going to say persons of interest, but it's probably more systems of interest, really. Okay, so we have all that information. We don't know necessarily how they got in, what the process is, but we, we've verified for definite that they have compromised our CRM database and they have legitimately done that. Yeah, for and sure. we know that for sure. And we have a bit of an inkling about what's happened. What, what, what do we think our inkling is? I think in our scenario, I think we were we've been given the verification that they they've left a text message document on the server in question that contains the CRM database, which has got the verification, and then we've started to perform some initial analysis on that. So we've looked at when that was written, you know, who that was written by. Just started to look at some of the metadata. Who was logged in at the time? What processes were running? That type of stuff. Okay, yeah. and that's I think started to lead us towards a particular. Uh, user that is of interest, so a, an account, a privileged account on the network that has access to the CRM database. Oh, don't want to be so that user, do you? You don't want to be that user. Normally um, an admin, but hey ho. Yeah, but and actually that that will start to allow us to move back through the chain, so we're we're able to see actually where was that where was that document created from? You know what what client systems were connected in, and potentially the authentication logs left there for their time. So in our scenario, we're probably now back to the point where we've identified a, a second system of interest that was likely to be their pivot point or their internal position on the network. So we've done discovery, we've verified it, we've done a bit of analysis. So we're now at the stage where we know for definite that our CRM database has been compromised. What is it that we do now? What's step four? So obviously, if if you have decided that you want to isolate this thing, so we're going to let's go on to the remediation step. We're going to close the the proverbial door now. So we'll take a copy of that environment. Um, you want to take a forensically sound copy, and ideally, you want to do obviously um, live memory capture. That's that's one of the more advantageous bits of forensic capture if you can get that. It's not as easy, but it's it's good to have because it gives you what's running as well as what's on disk. And then obviously, you'll take if there are other systems that are implicated uh, in this compromise, then obviously you do the same thing. Go grab forensic copies of those and then the CRM system, you need somebody that will uh, be suitably empowered in the business say, look, we've got the system compromised. Here's the risk associated with it. Are you happy for us to wipe, reload it from backup or wherever it is that the recovery plan for that particular system is? Um, but yes, yeah, somebody's going to need to sign on that because your lowly analyst, that's the security analyst that's running the incident, he ain't going to be empowered to sign that off. So um, yeah, you're going to have to go back to the business and say, this bad thing's happened. This is what we'd like to do to recover it. Here's the cost and implications of doing that. What would you like to do, Mr. Business? Mr. Renham. So so step four really is to try and fix the incident. Or is there another step after that which is really, really fix it? Or is this just this is the inc- this is the time where we try and fix it, boot everyone out, that kind of thing. There's gonna be some real tough decisions inside any business at this point. So, you know, in our scenario with the CRM you are going to be talking about turning that CRM off and disrupt, disrupting business operations. It's a simple simple math, generally. If the, if the attacker's threat act is demanding half a million pound and you're a £20 million a day business, they might choose to pay it. Wow. Yeah. Extortion. I mean, standard, standard yeah. extortion. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a risk-reward uh, kind of value uh, triangle, really, and you've got to make a call. 
I think very interestingly, uh, any companies that operate within global reach or have to send people out to hostage environments or places where potentially, you know, you, you, could, get, limb. Yeah, you could get picked up by a, a group and be held for ransom will have plans for actually how much they'll pay and in what scenarios they'll pay. So that's interesting. So what, I guess what we're not saying here is that the ultimate outcome is to clear the security incident from your network. Actually, one of the options could be, well, actually, it's going to be much cheaper, much quicker, much more efficient for us as an organization to just pay them. So there's two sides to this. There is how quick can I get back to uh, functioning, which is a essentially a cost avoidance scenario because that's more about avoiding lost revenues than it is about actually impacting the security breach or security incident. If the security incident has happened. There is absolutely nothing you can do to stop or make that any less because in the, I guess, in the eyes of, of anyone outside the organization, even if you, you have paid the ransom and they said, don't worry, we've deleted the data, you can never take that as as, as truth. So the data's gone, the, the horse is bolted, so to speak. But the, the next question is, how little can we spend to get us back making money in a known good state. Yeah, and you've got like fines and regulatory considerations as well in your, your cost model. It gets quite interesting at the top of the food chain. So going back to our scenario then, what is our response? What do we take? What are we doing? Well, I think we're, we're pretty certain we're turning some stuff off in our environment. So someone uh, in the security team will need to go up to senior management, advise them what has happened. Um, That's a fun conversation to have. Definitely a fun conversation. And, and also at that point, you're likely to say, we believe this person is still inside our environment uh, and in a manner that they could probably do pretty much anything. So um, we will be recommending that we start shutting down the systems we know have been affected. And we might also be looking at some areas of external access into the organization, which maybe aren't completely critical, which we can just start turning off whilst we try and work out the extent of this, uh, uh, this compromise. And this is where I guess you almost get a feedback loop really to some extent because you're going to have an initial response and you're going to report your initial findings and then you're going to go back for a second go because actually in the scenario we've got to we've identified potentially two systems of interest we've identified a privileged account of interest so we've got some sort of level of lateral movement uh, dropped the file on the on the database server extracted that crm and got out but actually we don't actually know if that's the origin of the of the actual breach so it might be the origin of the actual entrance to the network. It's it's sort of it. That is obviously the place where they have made an active communication within our network. But you know, as as we we've sort of experienced that typically, that's not just going to be not going to happen by magic. There's going to be some previous steps, and and that's probably where you're going to start looking at who has that user been communicating with. You know, actually, if it's a piece of malware that's been delivered to that machine to turn it into a Trojan or into a rat, um, ultimately, that's going to have come from somewhere. So starting to get into more analysis around where that that, that initial pivot point is actually spoken to. Uh, OK, so we've discovered that uh, an incident has happened. We verified it. We, we know for definite that it's, it's not fake. Uh, we've done the analysis. We know that it's absolutely from our CRM database. And uh, the response we've taken, we've switched off our CRM system and maybe some other associated services plus any um, external access that uh, isn't required or isn't business critical potentially. Are we done now? No. So we're going to now go back through the loop again. So we're going to go back into that analysis loop and dig deeper into it. So I guess the way you got to think about this is that ultimately this, depending on the complexity and the, the level of the incident, 
there's there's potentially going to be several iterations through analysis and response as you take in more information and use that to build up a better picture. It's the spider's web picture. You've got your CRM system in the center that you know is compromised. Right, okay, so how did he get there? So in the outer one, he went, oh, well, in our scenario, he compromised at least one client PC. He might have compromised two or three, and it was just that one that managed to talk to the CRM system. And okay, so he, how did he compromise those those PCs? He actually, well, there was a, a phishing mechanism or um, a piece of malware that was used. So that's the next layer in the spider's web. So you'd always track back. You, you're not just going to turn off your CRM system. You're going to look for all those points where he's potentially touched and you go, right, they're tainted. I'm not going to trust them. Let's reload, re-image, whatever, restore them to good. And it's not just the the infrastructure either. People, processes, all that kind of good stuff needs to be looked at. Was the security posture of this asset or CRM system not particularly good? Was it not up to date? It didn't, didn't have a particularly hardened build or had a hardened build that hadn't been looked at in an X many years and it's moved on. It's on an old version of the operating system that's end of life. It's not just a case of closing the proverbial door. You need to actually look around to prevent it reoccurring. So let's, so let's talk through our incident then. So Adam, can you take us up the chain? So I guess the scenario we started with is that the, the end result is that we've had the CRM compromised and the database has been exfiltrated. That has been accessed by a privileged user from an internal client. So they've laterally moved from a compromised internal client using a privileged account, potentially something really simple like local admin being the same on every machine. It's a very one we see quite a lot. Actually, a lot of people um, love to change the domain admins, really look after the domain accounts. But then everyone's got the same 14 character admin password that's broken with a good hashing algorithm in a few hours. So we, we've noticed that we've then taken this image and we've seen that actually, all OK, there's a Trojan on that on that machine and that's connecting back to a known CNC address. We've seen that that infection has come in via a URL link um, that was sent to the user from a an, another internal user. So they've leveraged a the fact that the user trusted another user to click on a link to download uh, this piece of software. And then we've gone back to that initial point of entry, so that initial user that actually sent the email to the second user, and we've identified that they have also received a phishing email asking for their credentials. So this is where we start to get a feeling that this was probably the start point, that actually all of this whole incident has started from something that is very simple, very basic. It was you know, a pretty standard uh, Office 365 or any sort of digital online service phishing link. Now, interestingly, um, one of the things we've started to actually see here at SoftCout, which um, is something I think people should be really aware of, is that a lot of people have naturally gone to the position that as long as I've got MFA, so multi-factor authentication or 2FA, uh, dual-factor authentication, that phishing is a, is a closed problem. It's a, it's a done deal. You know, it's not a problem. I can, I can let my credentials run wild. So what have we discovered then? Where, where are we? What do we know now? Okay, so we started off round one of discovery that we knew it was our CRM was involved and that was really the, the first iteration. So we went through that discovery analysis, CRM's the problem, we verified that it, it is an issue. Second iteration, we will have verified the file, text file that had been dropped by the external threat actor as their verification that they had remote code execution on that box. That would have identified the user that created that, the timestamp when it was created and potentially the system that remotely accessed that system to actually drop that file on. So that's our second iteration. So we've now identified this second client in the network that has been potentially compromised. So we've now gone to that that client. We've gone, okay, what information can we grab from this potentially? Memory images from it, looking at the proxy logs, looking at the SIM, looking at wherever that client has connected. 
We've identified a piece of malware on that machine, and we've identified that that malware has been delivered by an internal email. So it's been delivered by an email sent from a member of staff to a number of member of staff and saying, okay, essentially click and download this link. Potentially there's an element of a social engineering as part of that. They've chosen somebody who normally communicates with each other and, and shares information. So we, we've now identified that. That's now given us a, a few bits of information. Number one, about potentially some of the, the, the malware characteristics that they're using potentially some of the back channel or C2 and command and control uh, communication methods that exist that allow the attacker to be active on your network. And obviously, we've identified this other user that sent this uh, this piece of spear phishing to you with the malicious link. So now we're going back out into that concentric circle again. So we're out one more layer. We're going to go and have a look at that initial user that sent that malware over. And at that point, we now identify that that user had received a, a fairly benign or almost run-of-the-mill phishing attack that, uh, that had caused them to disclose their credentials. And I think now it's at this point where... The, we would probably be scratching our heads a little bit because as IT users or IT administrators, we, we know that we actually in our scenario have multi-factor authentication turned on. So this is where we'd probably be scratching our head and scratching our head trying to look at it. And we'd probably go and have a look at potentially the Office 365 or Exchange Online or potentially our Exchange server logs and actually see the authentication has come via ActiveSync. And that actually then the light bulb will click off that even though we have multi-factor authentication, as many people um, may not have realized, but probably will now when they think about it, when was the last time you ever asked for a multi-factor authentication when you set up the, the iOS mail client or the Android mail client? Actually, that control area isn't applied on the ActiveSync channel. And so we're, we're actually seeing this very much in the real world that you know the, the typical MFA solutions that people are deploying to defend against standard phishing attacks are becoming less... Uh, effective as people migrate towards using ActiveSync as the, the mechanism for delivering uh, phishing emails. So we now know this information. What is the next step, Adrian? So uh, assuming all that information you've, you've collated already and you've gone looking uh, in the rest of your environment for seeing if it's present, because obviously you don't want to make the assumption that it's this one single person that received the email, this one single ingress point into your network, because there may be multiple um, points that, and it was just this one particular user or link that was successful for our threat actor. So once you package all that up and you're successful, that you you know all those points in your infrastructure that have been or potentially compromised, um, then you can look to go, okay, so the analysis bit's done. I've got a root cause. Bearing in mind some of the findings from an incident like this might not be straightforward and immediate fix. If, for instance, your antivirus product's not up to proverbial mustard, you might want to say, oh, well, actually, let's move it to the latest and greatest. That's a whole chunk of work, especially in a large organization. So, yeah, you, you do the root cause analysis. Once you're happy, you've got all the findings and you've um, remediated and successfully restored all those systems to a known good um, position, those who were compromised. Then you can think, actually, now let's move on to the next stage, which is kind of doing some notification reporting bits. Okay, so that's really interesting. That reporting stage sounds like it's going to be pretty pretty detailed and, and it's going to take a, a, a quite a lot of time. I guess probably a question for you, Mark as our resident uh, GDPR expert, unfortunately, as he throws something at me now. Um, how does that fit with the breach notification timelines? Have you got a feel at all for the level of detail and, and you know the, the ability for you to actually get something to a uh, supervising authority within that time frame? 72 hours for uh, for breach reporting um, from when you become aware of a breach. And that's quite a hotly debated uh, uh, position as well. You know, where do you define aware? For us in this scenario, 
I would say that moment we've validated that we have that text file on our server, we've absolutely become aware of it. Um, now, we don't need to provide a comprehensive answer within 72 hours of everything that has happened and all the data that's been affected. The key thing is that we start communicating with the ICO and tell them what we're doing. And as we find out more, we keep them updated. That's the important thing for organizations to do. No one expects everyone to have a complete IR scenario played out and done in 72 hours. In reporting bits, it's not all or nothing. Your reporting will be tailored to the audience. So, for instance, um, I'm assuming that your GDPR notification will come from your legal team. Uh, you may choose another part of the organisation. As long as you defined it, that's grand. Um, they'll be doing that. But your reporting to your senior manager will be very light and, and high level, whereas your reporting to your technical teams will be very granular, obviously, especially your incident response team will be getting full information. So reporting just isn't package it all up and send it to everyone and hope for the best. You will you will need to tailor your reporting to the to the stakeholder, the recipient, because obviously not everyone needs to know everything, especially in something like this. You certainly don't want it posted on your internal intranet site, um, but you might want to notify your users that actually that really innocuous phishing email that kicked it all off there might be more out there we might see further iterations of it if the threat actor comes back for another go so you may want to do some comms that do awareness bits so tailing your reports is is a key thing here not just packaging it all up as a single magic bullet doesn't tend to work we're talking about reporting internally but uh in this scenario where uh, we're Renum industries we're a well-known uk corporation we're likely to have to report this externally too and not just directly to the users who have been impacted but potentially to the media so who in your organization is going to have that wonderful job of standing in front of a television camera and explaining not only what's happened but what you're doing about it and why your company should not be dragged through the coals when it's very likely that there's very limited information that the team has been able to provide you at this stage. I think, interestingly, the uh, the ability to to perform that job effectively has a massive impact on the long term reputational damage an organisation has. I mean, I've I've seen a number of security incidents where you end up actually coming out of it positively. So you look at some something like LastPass, or which was a, a very pretty minor breach, but but actually was still a breach. You know, their ability to grab enough information to allay fears for what is a potentially very sensitive service for friend users. You know, password vaulting actually saw them come out of that incident positively they were seen that they were articulate that they had a good uh, grasp on how to deal with incidents they knew enough information to come to back to users immediately and they took steps that were industry recognized as best practice in terms of resetting passwords and, and alerting people even though they were fairly confident that there actually wasn't a major impact to uh, private data okay so the incident has happened uh, we have communicated it out we've figured out what's happened is that it? Do we go home, crack on? You kind of, there's a post-incident, the last step, post-incident review, PIR. So step six then, yeah. post-incident review. Yeah, so effectively this is the bit that goes, right, okay, we've had this incident, we're still here, we're still being employed, the company's still viable, it's all good. Um, you go back and say, okay, what went well? What didn't go so well? Um, what could we have done better? Um, if you had any challenges or there was any blockers or constraints within your organisation, say, for instance, let's take the example where we had a third-party forensic support and actually the engagement uh, information we got for the third-party support's out of date. So we actually had to ring around 10 minutes ago onto Google to find the website. Actually, PII, I should say, contact information needs to be up to date so we can respond immediately, that type of stuff. So 
going back and looking at what went well and what could have gone better is, is quite key because again it goes back to that um OODA loop where you go back and you do the whole um, inst- um, improvement process bit um, so PII is really important and it's the bit that generally gets lo- left off because in the scenario where you're doing multiple incidents it's like okay the incident's done because step five reporting we put it all to bed or we'll do the PIR post incident stuff next week and another incident comes along and next week you know you just can't you, you plan that it's gone so PIR is really important in my opinion. Okay, so let's just summarise and have a look at what Renelm Industry did. So, step one. So, we had the security incident, which was... The exfiltration of the CRM database by an external party. So, that was our initial discovery. We were informed by an internal user via email. So, that's your discovery phase. Step two was verification. Yeah, so we took steps to verify that this was actually our CRM database, that these guys had actually exfiltrated it, that, that the data was both valid and, and timely. Um, they also provided us a alternative mechanism for verifying that they had obtained access to the server, and that was via leaving a text message on the desktop. That's verification. And step three, which was analysis. So then at that point, we started to analyze the extent of the, of the breach. So not only the the additional information that we'd taken from the actual CRM system itself. So the text message that was left on the on the database, but also looking at the memory, looking at the, the logs and, and other uh, events that were correlated to that central system. And from there, we then started to perform additional discovery as we try to understand the extent of the incident. And then step four was the response. Yeah, so there was an there was an initial response, and there will be gradual responses over the iterations as we go through that discovery, verification, and analysis loop. Um, the initial response was to take the CRM system offline. So this was a, a decision taken by uh, strategic leaders in the business that actually we were unable to keep that system online as there was concerns that the attacker was still active within the network. Um, so that system was switched off while it could be restored to a known good state. And then we went back from analysis to response, analysis to response, until we'd really refined what what what, what happened. It's quite yeah. iterative, that, that particular phase generally, isn't it? Yeah, and it's until we'd reached the end, you know, at the end of the day, I guess it's a good analogy would be, you know, you've come, you've, you're a police crash investigator you've arrived at the scene of a crash and you've gone there's been a crash that's my analysis i've verified there's been a crash i've seen there's been a crash and i have taken the car off the motorway well if you stopped your investigation there you'd never know actually how the car crashed you know was there other cars involved you know did it skid was there a mechanical failure was the driver drunk you know so it is constantly that iteration loop that gives you a more granular and more refined understanding until eventually you kind of you've reached that point where you've reached a root cause analysis so we fixed everything. Uh, we have understood as much as possible about how it happened. So the step five is is the reporting. Yeah. What what do we do for that? So you, you'd communicate out. You'd normally, uh, as part of your incident, you'd have kept an incident log. Um, you'd have had these these are the steps that we were taken. This is the information that was found. This is by whom and all that kind of good stuff. So you, you'd capture all that and you'd provide it in a, a format. Depending on who you're reporting going would be depending on the granularity of that report. But Assuming it's to your uh, incident response technical teams, they would get a a full workup. Says this: these are what we believe happened. Here's the evidence that supports that um, hypothesis. And obviously, you'd communicate that out. And then to your senior manager, your C-suite, you'd probably take a subset of that. Effectively, give them um, a summary of what happened. They'll obviously want to know implications, costs. Then the final step is 
is a post instant review. So just explain that one again. Yeah, so that's effectively your your process improvement. You look, you go back and you look at how well did this thing go? What could we have done to make it better? You know, you can reward reward those guys that that went out and uh, above and beyond. You know, they stayed all night, they endured the pizza and all that kind of good stuff. And you look back and go, actually, if this happened again, I'd probably want these systems to maybe have better granular logging in them, or I might want that team to engage quicker, or I might want to do something. So look what went well, look what went not so well, and try and make sure that next time you put steps in place so it, it goes better. And I bet from our experience, how many of those people who go through post-instant review say, I really wish I had an instant response company on Retainer? I really wish I planned what I was going to do before the incident happened. Yeah. Because looking back at it, it looks so much simple, perfect with hindsight. Yeah, 100%. What we're talking about here is not the realm of fiction. Um, the reason we're all here in this room talking about it is because we all know firsthand of stories of mid-market businesses who this type of stuff has happened to. Um, the attack chain we've covered is absolutely one that we all worry uh, is something that could happen to every company and we have seen happen to companies we work with. There is nothing in here that is overly fancy. Most of this stuff can be taken care of by a good security program that follows guidelines and frameworks like CIS and the 10 steps to cyber. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Adrian, Adam and Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting talking to you all. Listeners, if there's anything in the show that has piqued your interest, or if you'd like to talk to someone at Softcat about anything that we've talked about on this episode, uh, please do check out the show notes. We'll put some of the stuff that we've talked about today, as well as some contact details if you want to speak to someone at Softcat. Please also make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and you've been listening to Explain It from Softcat. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.